0: Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of living another week. Thank you, Father, for the hours of your Sabbath. What a joy it is to just uh, unwind, to forget everything ours and remember everything yours. Thank you, Father, that we can remember that everything that we are, everything that we have comes from your hand. And thank you for giving this weekly memorial so that we can remember that you are the wonderful creator, you are he who planned our redemption and soon you will send your son to pick us up from this earth, this dark dreary, sinful earth, to live with you a thousand years in heaven and then on the earth made new. What a glorious promise this is. We ask that as we open your holy word inspired by your spirit That the same spirit that inspired it will come and be close to us and through the ministry of the angels explain the important aspects that we need for these last days. Thank you Father for hearing our prayer for we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Luke 18 verses 1 through 8. This is the passage that we're going to take a look at in a special way this evening and I'm going to begin reading at verse 1, and then we'll review the main details of the parable. Then he spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge, who did not fear God, nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, And shall not God avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith in the earth? Now we want to take a look at the main actors in this parable and the central lesson of the parable. So let's go to verse 1, we'll go verse by verse, and then after we review the main elements of the parable, then we're going to give an explanation and make an application of the parable. It says in verse 1, Then he spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, that means never give up. Now this is the central lesson of the parable. The central lesson of the parable is, that we always ought to pray and we should never give up. We should continue praying and praying and praying even when it doesn't appear that we are getting an answer. Verse 2, saying, there was in a certain city a judge, so in this story there is a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. So now Jesus is going to illustrate the central lesson Central lesson is we always ought to pray and never give up, never lose heart. And now Jesus is going to illustrate the central lesson with a parable, with a story. And in the story there is in a certain city a judge. And this judge does not fear God, nor does he regard man. And then we notice in verse 3, the first part of the verse, that we are told that now there was a widow in that city, so we have a second actor in this story. The first actor or actress I might say, the first actor is the judge, the second actress is the widow. And uh, then I want you to notice that it is emphasized that the widow is persistent in coming to the judge. It says there in uh, Luke 18 and verse 3, now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. Now the translation of the verb here, that she came, is not, does not fully reflect uh, the meaning of uh, what the widow was doing. Because we find a little bit later on in verse 5 that she simply did not come, but she kept coming and coming and coming and coming, which is the central lesson of the parable. So when it says here that she came to him, she came to the judge, what it really means is that she kept on coming to the judge and she says to the judge, get justice for me from my adversary. In other words, this widow was relentless, she had independent, unyielding, defiant perseverance, under very aggressive circumstances. Now you notice that there's a third protagonist in this story. It is the adversary of the widow. So it says, once again, the last part of verse 3, And she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. So the widow has an adversary. Now, those who have studied this parable, the scholars that have studied this parable, have concluded, and I believe that they're correct on this point, that when this woman's husband died, he owed huge sums of money to a creditor that had lent him money. And when he died, of course, uh, this creditor went after the widow and took everything that her husband had. In other words, she was left totally destitute, she was left without anything. And her only hope was found in the judge. This woman had no children, because she was uh, a widow, no evidence that she had children. Uh, She had no home, she had no money, and apparently she had no friends. So she had absolutely nothing to lean upon, because she was wiped out by her adversary. By her husband's creditor, her only hope resided in the judge doing her justice. But then the parable takes an interesting turn. We find that this woman kept this widow woman kept coming and coming and coming to the judge, but there was a delay. The judge kept putting her off when she kept on coming. Notice Luke chapter eighteen and uh, the uh, verses 4 and 5, verses 4 and 5. It says, he would not for a while but the widow disregarded his ignorance of her pleas and kept on coming. So it says, and he would not for a while. But after what he said within himself though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me It's another way of saying that this widow is a pest, this widow uh, tries my patience, this woman just keeps coming and coming, I'm so tired of having her come. Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So there you have the parable, interesting parable. You have a judge, you have a widow, you have an adversary of the widow, and in the story you have a delay. Now I want us to notice when this parable especially applies to. The parable obviously applies to all times. In other words, we should pray all the time and we shouldn't give up when we pray. It applies to all periods of history. But it has a special application to the last generation that will live upon this earth. And you say, how do you know that? For two reasons. Number one, if you read the verses that come immediately before the parable, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And then Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man, and then he tells the parable. The second reason is that the parable ends with a very important question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? So this parable is found between two references to the second coming of Jesus. And so the parable, even though it applies to everyone, everywhere, during all periods of human history, it has a special application to the end time. A special application to God's people, to the final generation that will live upon this earth. And that will become clearer as we move along. Now Jesus also explained the meaning of the parable. Let's notice Luke chapter 18 and verses 6 through 8. Jesus did not always explain his parables. But in the case of this parable he explained who each of the actors represents. And then we're going to unpack each individual, each one of the persons in the parable. It says there in verse 6, Then the Lord said, Here comes the explanation of the parable. Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith in the earth? Now let's ask the question, who does this widow represent specifically in the end time? Well, let me ask you this. What does a woman represent symbolically? A pure woman represents what kind of church? A pure church. A harlot woman represents what kind of a church? An apostate church. But what does a widow woman represent? You see we're dealing here with symbols, aren't we? The judge represents something. The adversary we're going to find represents something, we're going to find that the widow also is symbolic, she represents some reality in human history. Now whom does this widow represent? We don't have to guess. Because in the explanation that Jesus gives, He says, and shall God not avenge His own elect. So whom does the widow represent? She represents the elect. Now the question is when do the elect especially live? Well we have to let Jesus explain when the elect are going to live. Go with me to Matthew chapter 24. We'll read verse 22 and then verse 24. Remember the key word is elect. When do the elect in this parable live? In a special way. It says there in Matthew 24, verse 22, speaking about the great tribulation, which we've referred to before. And except those days, the days of the tribulation, should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the the elect's sake, those days shall be what shortened. What period of history Are we dealing with here? The period of the great tribulation according to the context. So when is the elect going to live? They're going to live during the time of the last tribulation when God is going to have to cut that time short. Notice verse 24. It says, for they shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect. Once again, the context is the end time. In fact, Ellen White quotes Matthew 24 verse 24 to refer to Satan's counterfeiting of the second coming of Jesus. So in other words, the word elect means God's people that live at the very end of human history. Now why is a woman, a widow woman used to illustrate God's people at the end of time? Simply folks, Because God's people are going to be wiped out, wiped out by the adversary. We are going to lose all of our money. We are going to lose our homes. We are going to lose our automobiles. We're going to lose our 401k. We are going to lose everything in other words like this widow we will be totally destitute of human support that's why we're dealing with a widow who has to come to the judge to ask the judge do justice against my adversary so basically this this woman this widow woman represents the end time generation the book of revelation calls them the 144000 those who refuse to worship the beast refuse to worship the image and refuse to receive the mark. Everything will be taken from them. Now who does the judge represent? The judge represents God. You say now wait a minute Pastor Boer, how can the judge represent God if it says very clearly in the parable that the judge, what does it say about the judge? That he does not fear God and he doesn't regard man. How could that kind of a judge represent God? Well, he represents God by way of contrast. Basically it goes like this. Jesus is saying, if an unjust judge will answer the continued pleas of the widow to get her off his back, how much more will God answer the pleas of his people because he loves them? So, in other words, both answer the pleas, but for a different reason. The judge to get the woman off his back, or the widow off his back, but God will answer the pleas because God loves his people. In other words, the judge represents God by way of contrast. Are you understanding me? Now, we have in this story also the adversary that wipes out the widow that makes it necessary for the widow to come to the judge and ask the judge to do justice. Who does this adversary represent? We don't have to guess. There's a Greek word, the Greek word antidikon. that's the word that translates adversary here. It's not a very common word in the New Testament, it's a rare word in the New Testament. Another verse where this word is used, the adversary, is in 1st Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. This will help us identify who the adversary is. 1st Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your antiricon, because your adversary, whom? The devil, Walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Who is it that is going to wipe out God's people? Satan is the adversary. The adversary that's going to take everything from God's people. So folks, we better not lean upon the stuff that we have. We better learn to trust in the Lord. Because we're going to lose everything, like the widow in the story the widow lost everything. So, the adversary represents Satan, who is going to pillage God's people at the end of time. Now you notice that the widow, what does she do? She cries out and she cries out for justice. Now what does that represent, crying out? Well, the expression cry out day and night that is used here The the, the the expression cry out is actually the translation of one Greek word. It is a very intense word. In other words, it it expresses tremendous anxiety and stress. It's the same word that is used in uh, the Gospels where it says that Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, this widow is not simply you know, making a request, she is crying out and the elect according to the parable are gonna be crying out to God to do them justice. And God is gonna do them justice immediately, right? Nope. Have you noticed that what we've been studying this in several stories from the Bible? Did the judge answer immediately? No, he kept putting her off and putting her off and putting her off and in the same way God's elect at the end of time, during the time of trouble will continue coming and coming. Read the chapter on the time of trouble in the great controversy and for a significant amount of time it will appear that God is not answering their pleas. God seems to be absent in other words. In Luke chapter 18, verse 7, it says, And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears what? Though he bears long with them. I like the way it's translated in the New International Version. Actually, it's a form of a question Will he keep putting them off? That's the question. In the Jerusalem Bible it translates, even when he delays to help them. And the Weymouth translation says, will uh, will God delay vengeance on their behalf? So there will be a delay. I want you to go with me to Isaiah chapter 54 verses 7 and 8, where the time of trouble is described. It's going to be a relatively short period of time, it's going to be cut short because it's going to be very intense going to be very difficult. But after the trial, God will intervene. Notice Isaiah 54 and verses 7 and 8. Here God is speaking and He says, For a mere moment I have what? I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will what? I will gather you. With a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So here it says that for a little moment God hid His face. For a mere moment it appeared that God forsook His people. Ellen White quotes these verses in the chapter on the Time of Trouble. But in the end it says that God, with everlasting kindness, will have mercy on His people if they hang in there, if they remain faithful. Now in the New Testament we have a story that illustrates the perseverant faith that God's people are going to need. You remember that Jesus once was walking along with the disciples and a woman from Canaan came making a request. She actually made a public scene. You know, the disciples, Jesus and the disciples were walking along, and this woman, you know, she's uh, talking at the top of her voice. She says, Lord, have mercy on me, for my child is sick. And the story tells us that Jesus just kept on walking and ignoring her. And after walking for a while, Uh, The woman is continuing, Lord have mercy on me, my child is ill. Heal my child. And then the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, she's making a scene. Tell her to leave. And the woman is listening to what they're saying. Well, Jesus continues walking with the disciples and the woman continues crying out, help me. And then Jesus turns around, he looks at her, he says, I'm not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Notice I haven't been sent to Canaanites, I've been sent to Israelites. Well, perhaps I would have left at that point. (laughs) But Jesus kept on walking and the woman kept on coming. Have mercy on me. I have a child that's ill, heal my child. And then Jesus caps it off by saying it's not too good to take the bread of the children and give it to the dogs. He just called her a dog. But this woman said to Jesus, yes but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And so Jesus says, great is your faith woman, I have not found faith in Israel like this faith. That illustrates The faith that God's people, the perseverant faith and prayer of God's people during this most trying period of human history. But the greatest illustration, the greatest illustration folks, of the experience that God's people are going to be going through at the end of time, is found in the story of Jesus. Now, do you remember the main elements that we've been studying, the six common denominators? Number one, there's a faithful what? Remnant, Remnant. very well. Number two, the remnant has what? Enemies, Enemies. that would be the adversary, right? Number three, the the person goes through what? Through a severe time of trouble. Did the widow go through a severe time of trouble? Absolutely. Faith is what? Tested. 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 Was the faith of the woman tested? absolutely then you have a what a delay is there a delay in the parable yes there is but finally did the judge do justice to this woman after the delay absolutely this is talking about the same time of trouble that we've been studying about but the greatest illustration of these common denominators is found in the experience of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior all of the elements are there Now let's review the elements so that we can understand uh, the application of the parable in the case of Jesus specifically. Who would be the faithful remnant in the story of Jesus? Jesus, right? And we're referring to this to the time of trouble of Jesus, Gethsemane and Calvary. That's the period that we're going to talk about now. So did Jesus have Hateful enemies during this period of his, of his existence on earth. Yeah, he had many, didn't he? Well, the, the chief one was the devil. But you have Annas, and you have Caiaphas, and you have Pilate, and you have the Sanhedrin, and you have all of these enemies ganging up on Jesus Christ. Did Jesus go through a severe time of trouble? All you have to do is visit Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. There you have the angst of Jesus as he's going through his experience. Three times Jesus prays to his Father, Father, if this cup can pass from me, by the way, what what was in the cup? In the cup was the wrath of God. And the Father gave the cup to Jesus. John 18 verse 11 says, Am I not going to drink the cup that my Father has given me? The Father placed on him the iniquity of us all. He was was suffering the anguish by bearing the sins of the whole world upon himself. Every sin that has been committed, that is being committed and will be committed, was laid upon Jesus Christ. He suffered terrible anguish. I mean, the Bible says that, that he sweated drops of blood. How much anguish do you need to have in order to sweat blood? And so he's crying out three times, Father, if this cup of your wrath can pass from me, let it be so. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Jesus said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. And when he was hanging on the cross in this period of terrible anguish, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? an amazing story isn't it and so then Jesus goes to the cross he cries out to his father he says father if you can deliver me he goes through this terrible time of trouble was the faith of Jesus severely tested? His faith folks was tremendously tested let me just read you a statement from the spirit of prophecy uh, where Ellen White describes the anguish that Jesus went through In Desire of Ages, page 756, Ellen White describes, amid the awful darkness, apparently forsaken of God, notice, apparently forsaken of God, Christ had drained the last dregs in the cup of human woe. In those dreadful hours, he had relied upon the evidence of the Father's acceptance heretofore given him. He was acquainted with the character of his Father, he understood his justice his mercy and his great love by faith he rested in him whom it had ever been his joy to obey and in submission and as in submission he committed himself to god the sense of the loss of his father's favor was withdrawn and then she makes this comment by faith christ was the victor so it was the faith of jesus stretched to the breaking point it most certainly was was there a delay in the experience of Jesus did the father answer his prayer in Gethsemane the father deliver him no did the father deliver him from dying on the cross no was there a delay in the deliverance absolutely there was a delay in fact if you go with me To the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, and verse 7, we find the anguish of Jesus, and we find that the Father answered, but he did not answer immediately. It says there in Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 7, speaking about the agony of Jesus in Gethsemane, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, did he save him from death? Did the Father save him from death? No, no. And, yet, and yet it's very interesting that the next phrase says and was heard because of his what? Was heard because of his godly fear. Now wait a minute. He asked the Father to deliver him from death and it says that he was heard and yet he what? And yet he died. So how do we understand that the Father heard him if he died? there was a delay. But let me ask you after the delay did the father deliver him? Yes. You say you mean to say the father delivered him? Absolutely. Let me read you a statement from the Spirit of Prophecy. It's found in Youth Instructor May 2, 1901. This is a remarkable statement. He who died for the sins of the world was to remain in the tomb for the allotted time. He was in that stony prison house as a prisoner of divine justice and he was responsible to the judge of the universe. Who was Jesus responsible to? Who was the judge of the universe? The Father. Then, she states, he was bearing the sins of the world And his father only could release him he was a prisoner in the grave and only his father could what could release him did the father release him from death no he died but was he ultimately released from death absolutely you know the story after the delay see he went through Gethsemane he went to the cross He felt the anguish of separation from his father. He died, but he died in hope. Because the last words of Jesus on the cross were, were, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Interesting that he would commend his spirit to his father. He says, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then the Bible says that he expired. He died. He exhaled. Had the father heard him? Didn't look like it. He died. But you remember what happened on resurrection morning. And let me just explain a, a, a text or two verses that people use to say well you know the father didn't release Jesus from the tomb he, he actually resurrected himself. That's what people say based on John chapter 10 but they don't read the last part of chapter 10 verse 18. So let's go to chapter 10 and verse 17 and 18 of John. John 10 17 and 18 very interesting verse that we find here Jesus says here therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again see they say Jesus lays down his life and he takes his life again no one takes it from me but I lay it down of myself I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. Now let me tell you something about that word power, that's not a good translation. In Greek there is a word for power, it's the word dunamis, where we get the word dynamite from. That is not the word that is used here. The word that is used here is exousia, it means authority. So Jesus is really saying here, no one takes it from me, But I lay it down of myself, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Where did He get His authority to do that from? It says in the last part of the verse, this command I have received from my Father. So let me dramatize what happened on resurrection morning, after the delay. See now, two angels descend from heaven. One of the angels rolls away the stone and sits on it. The other angel stands before the throne and with a voice that shook the earth said, O thou Son of God, thy Father calls thee. And then Jesus, by authorization of his Father, took up his life that was within himself. Amen. Jesus had life within himself, but he only took it up again by authorization of his Father the judge of the universe heard the pleas of Jesus. His vehement cries in Gethsemane the father heard it and the father answered his pleas now why did Jesus go through this agonizing experience? we need to read Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 this is a, this is a very interesting verse. Why God allowed Jesus to go through this suffering and this anguish and these cry, this crying out? it says there In Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 though he was a son yet he learned what obedience by the things which he suffered would that be true of us would that be true of delays when we come to God when things happen in our lives that you know are difficult, we don't understand what's happening, we keep on coming to God and coming to God and God doesn't seem to listen because we don't get the answer that we really want. Have you ever had that experience? It's an agonizing experience but God says folks don't give up keep on coming. I hear you but it's a benefit for you not to get an answer immediately. Because by the things which you suffer, your faith grows. By the things which Jesus suffered, it says he learned obedience. It's not that he was disobedient. He was continuously obedient. But the trials he suffered helped him be obedient at every step of his life. And so when we have trials and difficulties, that is the purpose why God allows these things to happen to us in a world of sin. So let's not whine and complain. Because we don't immediately get the answer that we want. Because the answer that we want might not be the best answer, even though we think so. Now I want to read you an interesting statement. Do you know that we are going to repeat the experience of Jesus? I found this remarkable statement in Review and Herald, April 14, 1896. You know, I have, I have a presentation um, on the experience of Jesus. You know, all of the experience that Jesus went through in the Sanhedrin accusing him, and then the Sanhedrin appealing to the power of the state to condemn Jesus, and all, all the, the, the union of the powers against Christ, and, and the union of all of the uh, denominations of that day and age, because all of those de- Jewish denominations didn't like each other, one another. But when it came to killing public enemy number one, they all came together. And so the experience of Jesus is going to be repeated by God's people again. So we need to have the faith of Jesus. Notice this statement. The forces of the powers of darkness will unite with human agents who have given themselves unto the control of Satan. I'm going to read that again. The forces of the powers of darkness, that's Satan and his angels, will unite with human agents who have given themselves unto the control of Satan. And now here comes the key portion. And the same scenes that were exhibited at the trial, rejection and crucifixion of Christ will be revived. We are going to go through the same experience of the trial, rejection, and crucifixion of Christ, according to this statement. And then here comes the scary part of this statement. Through yielding to satanic influences men will be merged into fiends. Do you know what a fiend is? A demon. Through yielding to satanic influences men will be merged into fiends. And those who were created in the image of God who were formed to honor and glorify their creator, will become the habitation of dragons. And Satan will see in an apostate race his masterpiece of evil, men who reflect his own image. Can you imagine being in a world where Satan has full control of the impenitent? Ellen White says that the most vivid imagination cannot grasp what it's going to be like. We can think of the worst and it's going to be worse. You say, well, pastor, don't scare us. The purpose is not to scare us. The purpose is to say, we better abide in Christ now. We better better form a strong relationship with Jesus now. I mean, if we can't let loose of our stuff now, you know, if we can't, invest our means in the cause of God. Now, what makes us think that we're going to do it later? You know, I have Adventists who say, you know, I I don't have enough money to to return my tithe. I've got to pay all my bills. I don't have enough money to return my tithe. And yet these same people say, but when the time of trouble comes, I'll be willing to give it up all for Jesus. What makes us think that if we're not willing to give up 10%, we're going to give up 100%? It's not going to happen. Now is rehearsal. Now is the time when we need to develop that intimate, close relationship with Jesus, that abiding faith in Jesus, that abiding trust in Jesus. Now is the time, because trying to develop it at that time will definitely be too late. Now do you notice that the parable ends with a question? When the Son of Man comes, we'll take questions at the end. Will the, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith in the earth? In other words, will, will the Son of Man find the faith that this widow had when he comes again? So the widow must represent the end time generation, right? In a special sense. Now Jesus ends the parable with a question. You say, now wait a minute, <laughs> he ends with a question. Is there going to be a people or not? The parable comes to an abrupt end. Will there be a people that have that kind of faith? And the answer is given in the book of Revelation. In two places. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 10 and Revelation 14 and verse 12. You're acquainted with Revelation chapter 14 verse 12. It says, here is the By the way, that's not a good that's not a good translation. Here is the patience of the saints. You know there, there are two there are two words in Greek for you know uh, for patience. One is the word makrothumia, which is translated in the King James Version long suffering. It means to suffer long. The other word, which is the one that's used in Revelation 14, verse 12, is the word hupomone. It should be translated the perseverance. It's actually the same word where Jesus says, He who endures unto the end, the same shall be saved. So basically it doesn't mean, you know, here's the patience of the saints, and the saints just sit and they say, oh, you know, I'll just wait and let everything come, and be passive. No, no, no. The word uh, hupomone means, uh, here are those who have the perseverance of the saints. Just like the widow was perseverant. And then it says, here are they who keep the commandments of God and what? The faith of Jesus. Is God going to have an end time generation that, had the, that has the faith that Jesus had? Absolutely. The faith that the widow had. Absolutely. God will have an end time generation that will make God first and last and best in their lives. You know, these days, there's the idea that, you know, the flesh is so powerful, this sinful flesh is so powerful, that even God can't help us overcome sin. Do you know what really, when people say, when people say uh, even in the church, you know, we can never overcome sin before the close of probation, before Jesus comes, because the flesh is weak. What they're, what they're really saying is not that the flesh is weak, what they're saying is that God isn't strong. Is our flesh stronger than God? That's the big question. No. God is more powerful than our flesh if we commit ourselves to Him. So we can't offer that as an excuse. Well you know that text that says I can do most things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do some things through Christ who strengthens me. No, What did he say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. doesn't say I can do all things except overcome sin through Christ who strengthens me. It is possible to overcome if we meet the conditions of committing our lives without reservation to Jesus Christ, as Savior and as Lord. Because Ellen White says, unless you accept Jesus as Lord, you won't have Him as Savior either. We have to make Him the Lord of our lives. And so folks, this parable, this magnificent parable, is teaching us the same lesson that we've been studying the last two sessions that I've had during the seminar. We have Jacob, we have the three young men in the fiery furnace, we have Daniel in the lion's den, we have Mordecai in the days of Esther, we have the experience of Jesus. God is saying, hey, the time is coming when there will be this great trial, but there will be a generation of saints that are totally and completely victorious over sin, They will consider their allegiance to Jesus Christ more important than life itself. And by the way, the most precious thing that we have is life. Because when you don't have life, you have nothing. You know, we're not going to take anything to heaven, uh, heaven that we had here. And when we go to the grave, the only thing that we take is the clothes that they put on, the corpse. And we're not really taking anything because we can't show it off because we're dead. (laughs) So bottom line is, let's not get all attached to what we have here. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You know, somebody once said to me, well, you know, I've got a really, really nice house. And I said, is it made of gold? Oh, I've got, I've got a, la, a late-model BMW. I said, does it fly? <laughs> Nothing that we have here is as good as what we're going to have there. Everything here is going to burn. So let's invest in the bank of heaven where it's not going to burn. Let's invest where we will have eternal dividends in the kingdom of God. Let's be like this widow, relentless in coming to the throne of grace. Even when we don't get an answer, yes or no, when God delays, let's say, okay, Lord, I'll wait. And I'll wait as long as necessary. But I know that in your timing, you will do your work in my life. And I'm willing to wait and allow you to do it your way. Because when we do it our way, we make a mess out of our lives. So my question is, those who are gathered here, is this the the, the generation that you would want to belong to? Is it? Well, two or three of you at least would like to be in that generation, praise the Lord. That's a good start. I'm going to ask you, if you want to say to the Lord Jesus, Lord, I commend my life to you, I commit my life to you, I want to abide in you, and through your power I ask that you will help me abide in you, I want to be among that, end-time generation, that vindicates your character, that overcomes sin through the grace of Jesus Christ. If that's how you feel, I want to ask you to stand. I'm going to have a word of prayer for you before we end this evening. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, sometimes in this world it appears to be virtually impossible to overcome sin and humanly speaking it is impossible but with you all things are possible we realize Lord that uh, we're weak we have no strength to overcome the evil one to overcome the world to overcome sin to overcome the flesh and that's why we come before your throne boldly to ask that through Jesus Christ you will give us victory that you will make us more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us so much I ask Lord that you will be with each person gathered here that this evening we will make a total and unreserved commitment to abide in Jesus to remain in him to continue coming no matter what might happen in our lives we thank you Lord for the message from this passage that we studied We want to be like that widow, relentless. And we know that you eventually will do justice in your time and in your way. Thank you, Father, for having been with us and for hearing and answering our prayer. We ask it in the precious name of Jesus, amen. This media was brought to you by AudioVerse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about AudioVerse,